Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 31 of the Mike and Mo Show. I'm Mike Calandrillo, he's Maurice Moten, and we are already just a couple hours away from week two of the NFL season. Ah, so much happened in the world of the NFL last week, we're going to talk that. Uh, we're going to talk some coaching moves, some uh, potential injuries that might have hurt your fantasy team. We're going to move over to the world of baseball and talk some controversy. Uh, we're going to talk who should be in the MVP race and some other fantastic tragedies that have happened in the world of TV, including Ryan Lochte. But before we get to that, let's kick it off with my man Maurice Moten, and he just has to get something off his chest about the Buffalo Bills. Mo, what's going on? Yeah, you all saw the game. I'm sure you saw it, Mike. The oh, Buffalo yeah. Bills lose to the New York Jets, mm-hmm. 37 to 31. The Buffalo Bills put up 31 points on the Jets. So obviously, wasn't their offense? No, not the at defense all. let up 37 points to Ryan Fitzpatrick, Decker, Marshall, uh, Quincy Anunua. Up 37 points there. So the Bills had to do things on defense, right, to fix things to go on in Buffalo to possibly challenge for AFC East title. Fix the defense, right? Yes. You would think, yeah. You, yeah, you would think so, right? Mm-hmm. But. This is not your ordinary franchise <laughs> with rational logic. It's the Buffalo Bills, Rex Ryan. I'm, I'm sorry, GM Doug Whaley, but you, you need to turn the ship in a different direction. I don't know what you're thinking, letting Rex Ryan fire your offensive coordinator, Greg, Greg Roman, who, by the way, coached Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco when Colin Kaepernick was at his best. If you remember Colin Kaepernick being that dual-threat quarterback who could throw and run, Greg Roman was behind the scenes pulling the strings as the offensive coordinator there. Greg Roman goes to the Buffalo Bills, gets Tyrod Taylor to a Pro Bowl. Tyrod Taylor had a career season, even earned himself a long-term deal with the Bills. And guess what? They fire him. Why? Because Rex Ryan's bro, Rob Ryan, is the defensive coordinator. So, of course, he's not going to angle for his brother to get canned. He's going to say, let's get rid of Greg Roman. Now... Let's run through a, a little bit of history. I went through Greg Romans. As I said, he coached Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl, came to Buffalo, got Tyrod Taylor to a Pro Bowl. What about Rob Ryan? Okay, Rob Ryan has been a D.C. defensive coordinator since 2004 with the Oakland Raiders, the team that I cover. And he's only coached the defense above the top 12 one year. One year with the New Orleans Saints in 2013. And his last two cents with the New Orleans Saints in 2014 and 15, his defense was 31st in the league. 31st. But you know what? After they fire him in New Orleans, Rex Ryan says, you know what, bro? I got a spot for you here in Buffalo. I'm the head coach here. I'm running things. Doug Willie won't mind. I'll bring you in. We'll be the Rex Ryan. We'll be the Ryan brothers. We'll do it for our dad, God his soul. And we'll turn this thing around in Buffalo. Turns out it didn't happen that way. Okay, Buffalo Bills had a good defensive output against the Ravens last week, but they gave up 37 points to the Jets, and the Jets didn't play their best game to begin with. They had some stutters and some sputters early, but they rebounded, and Decker and Marshall were pretty much uncoverable downfield. Quincy Anunua, again, uncoverable downfield, but you fire the OC. And the reasoning was because, I believe Rex Ryan said this, he wants the offense to pass more. Well... If my memory serves correctly, Rex Ryan, as a head coach, all he does is run the ball. When he was coaching the Jets, they 
typically had two running backs, sometimes three running backs. Rex Ryan is a ground-and-pound type of guy. He likes to ground and pound and take his dinks and dunks down the field, take his shots. But more, more, more wide, he's, he's run the ball 20, 25 times, 30 times, win the ball game. That's how Buffalo was successful last year. They had a really good run game. They had LaShawn McCoy, Carlos Williams, who's no longer with the team. And that allowed Tyrod Taylor to open up lanes, pick his spots, pick his uh, his downfield spots to Sammy Watkins. And guess what? Yesterday it happened a little bit. I mean, he didn't have the greatest game. Sammy Watkins wasn't 100%, by the way. Only had two catches for 20 yards, I believe. But it's not on the offense. Even with a, even with a Sammy Watkins not at full strength with two catches for 20 yards, the Bills still managed to put up 31 points on the New York Jets, who, by the way, have a pretty good defense with Tom Bowles running the show there. So their decision to fire, well, I should say Rex's decision to fire Greg Roman basically sinks this team for the year. I won't be surprised if Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan are without a job at the end of the year. They both could be unemployed because I believe Rex could have saved his job by maybe not firing his brother, but maybe pulling his bro aside and saying, hey, let me have more states on the defense. We're not going to fire anybody. Maybe if you're going to, if you got to fire somebody as a scapegoat, Fire the special teams coach. I don't know. Fire the fire the trainer. Fire the physician. Fire somebody else. But the last person that should have been fired, the very last person that should have been fired, is Greg Roman. And it makes the Bills look like a clown organization for what they did and decision and the reason they gave for it, because we want to pass more. Well, Rex Ryan, as I said, is a run-first guy. So that makes absolutely no sense. The Bills deserve whatever they get from here on in, which I, I believe is going to be a 4-12, 5-11 season, because Rex Ryan is not a button-up head coach. The players usually, they have these these hiccups. They can't make the bus on time. They're getting suspended. I mean, look at it this year. Look at all the suspensions the Bills have had this year. Carlos Williams, as I said, no longer on the team. Marcel Darius has been suspended. A couple other players in trouble or suspended or late. It, it, it's it, there's a pattern and the same thing happened with the Jets. You had the same problem in the locker room where the locker room just was not disciplined under Rex Ryan. And again, I do not, I like Rex as a person. He seems like a cool dude, but I do not want him as the head coach of my football team. Maybe as a defensive coordinator, players say they love playing for him, but I don't want him coaching my football team. I don't want him dragging my football team to five and 11. Unfortunately, I think the Bills clean house after this. Doug Willie's gone. Rex Ryan's gone. Rob Ryan is gone. Sorry, Bills fans, but you are headed for a 5-11 and season at best. Yeah, all you Bills fans, like you four guys in Buffalo. Like, <laughs> like I know one guy that's a Bills fan, and he doesn't tell people he's a Bills fan. But there's a couple things that I noticed during the game and after the game. The Bills' offense was not that bad. I mean, they put up a lot more points than I thought they should have. And actually, I'm actually worried that the Jets' defense might not be as good as everybody thought, to be honest with you, because Tyrod played pretty well. I mean, Shady McCoy is not the Shady McCoy of old, and you didn't have really any receiving options once Watkins went out of the game. And and honestly, if he continues to play on that bad foot, this is the type of injury that is a career changer. So uh, Buffalo needs to be smart, and they need to sit this guy because he just can't go. And, you know, you're you're losing – you're going to potentially lose a number one wide receiver for a very, very long time if you continue to play him on that bad wheel. And, obviously, this team is not going anywhere fast. So I sit him, and I don't worry about it. Uh, another thing I noticed is that uh, Rob, Rob Ryan, that he, he looks like the tag team partner of Hulk Hogan circa 1985. <laughs> he looks ridiculous with that hair and that gut. 
he he just needs he needs like a queer eye for the straight guy kind of makeover because damn homie um Quincy Anunwa is phenomenal like that guy can play he is a he's a beast he's jacked he's not afraid to go over the middle he came out of the game a little bit uh, I think he had a hurt quad but he was close he had what is it six yards he needed for another for for the third 100 yard receiving uh receiver for the Jets that night this guy can play what a find what a great third option uh, I I was super worried that Brandon Marshall tore his knee my fantasy team almost went out the window uh, I got a little nauseous but luckily he came back he did well he's still dropping too many balls Mo. I'm not sure what's going on with your boy, but he but he's making me a little queasy at times because there's just times where he he out muscles the the corner of the safety and he does not come down with the ball. So I'm a little I'm just a little a little worried about that. And lastly, uh yeah, like you said, the Ryan brothers are now tied together. Uh, Rex thought this was a good idea. This was the worst idea ever because the moment that the the GM, whoever he might be, like you noticed in in Buffalo, or the or the owner wakes up and says this is not working. They're both gone. But I just can't understand how ownership could allow Ryan to fire their offensive coordinator, who is making almost two and a half million dollars this season. Like what? That's a lot of money to still have to pay a guy who's doing a pretty good job, but you but you let your head coach fire a head coach that is was on the hot seat before week one even started. So what is going on? And this team looks more dysfunctional than the Cleveland Browns. It's sad. Let, let me just read something real quick to you. The top two receivers on the Buffalo roster on Thursday night, Marquise Goodwin, who burned Revis on that on that play, yeah. and Greg Salas, who scored his first touchdown in his career. My man. And, and that's who your, your top two receivers are, yet you scored 31 points with Tyrod Taylor throwing three touchdown passes. Yeah. Yes, he had an interception after he came back after uh, leaving concussion protocol. They thought he had a concussion. He didn't. He got, he got back on the field, threw a pick. But he had three touchdown passes, quarterback rating of about 84.1. How can you, how can you say that the offense was the problem? And I know people say, well, Rex is not going to fire his brother. Well, I'm saying I learned a lesson when I was a young kid. Someone said... Sometimes you can't mix family with business. And in this case, it became oil and water because we all know the problem with the Bills was the defense and not the offense. But Rex was, again, Rex was not going to fire his blood brother or Greg Roman, who who obviously he just got to know probably last couple of years. Just not going to happen. But guess what's going to happen? He can join the unemployment line with his brother Rob Ryan when they both get fired together at the end of the year. Yep. I don't even know if it'll go that long. I think if this team goes 0-5, they're both gone. Because this this was a team that was supposed to challenge for the AFC uh, East, especially with you know New England being out of the picture for the f- first four games. Obviously, they won last week, but that was just the way it was on paper before this thing was supposed to get off the ground. And as everyone is saying, and like you stated, you know they may not win five games. So I think if they go on five, they're gone. And and if if anyone in the NFL college or a small junior college in Wichita, Kansas, ever hires Rex Ryan as a head coach, they're out of their freaking minds. Because, yes, he got to two AFC Championship games. That was a while ago. That was 2010. He has not gotten any better. He he has no excuse. He's had good players, and he just can't motivate. It's the same rah-rah speech every time we hear from this guy. If you watched Hard Knocks many years ago, he's everybody's friend, and that's fine. But much like Jeff Fisher, it doesn't really do the trick. So you know what, guys? Let's move on. If you want to make him a defensive coordinator, 
maybe so be it. That's what he was good at many years ago with Baltimore. Who knows if he even has that in him. But if you want to keep him in an organization or maybe hire him as that, that's one thing. But there is no way that this guy should be in charge of an entire staff and an entire team because he just just doesn't have it anymore. I'm sorry. You know, with the, you know, the Mark Sanchez fiasco was one thing. But this Buffalo team, they, they should not be this bad. I tweeted something out about Rex Ryan the other day, and it was his record. He's 54-60 and 60 as a head coach. He only had a winning season in his first two years. After that, he's fell off completely. Yeah. Has only got to about 500. And people say, well, he hasn't had the best quarterbacks. Well, he has a Pro Bowl quarterback now, and he's changing his OC, changing the system two games into the season. Now, you said he could get fired before the season's over, and I totally agree with you because I'm now looking at the schedule. And guess who they have on the schedule? Arizona. And then New England, 0-4, baby. Yep. He's going He's going on 4 and they may, they may turn the ship after that point. Maybe they let him stay for Los Angeles Rams and San Francisco 49ers, which would give him two wins. Then again, with San Francisco and Chip Kelly, I don't know because, like I said, the Buffalo Bills are atrocious. And again, if he gets fired midseason... I don't feel sorry for him because he did it to himself. No, absolutely not. Let's talk about some. Uh, let's talk about some other head coaches, some some good head coaches, and let's talk about the impact that they have on their quarterbacks, either either incumbent starters or guys that are risen via the draft or risen from the dead, like uh, like the first guy. Let's talk about your my, your favorite player, your favorite coach, Bill Belichick, shall we? Yeah, Bill Belichick's my guy, and and this this is basically the sub rant, and basically it's just to say. Head coaching matters. If you look at Bill Belichick, if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's first performance, you got to give thanks to Bill Belichick. I know Jimmy Garoppolo deserves some credit, but Matt Castle, if you remember, when Brady went down in a, in a year, I believe 2008-2009, Castle was pretty good. They went 11-5, didn't make the playoffs, but 11-5, pretty damn good. Now, if Jimmy Garoppolo was maybe with the Bills and Rex Ryan, I don't think he wins his first football game as a starter. You look at Chip Kelly with Blaine Gabbert. I know Blaine Gabbert didn't light it up on Monday Night Football against the Rams, but the Rams so-called have a good defense because, yeah, Jeff Fisher, Chip Kelly was able to cut through that 28 to donut. Shut the team out. Team score. Blaine Gabbert looked pretty decent. Not great, but decent. This is the same Chip Kelly that had Mark Sanchez with good stats. The same Chip Kelly that made Nick Foles look like a starter. Hasn't since. Same Chip Kelly who had Bradford looking like Sam Bradford looking like a starter, who now has a job with the Minnesota Vikings. So if all the people say Chip Kelly can't coach, just look at what he's had. Mediocre to subpar quarterbacks. So you can't say, oh, Rex Ryan hasn't had enough talent. Well, guess what? Rex Ryan is not a good enough coach to upgrade his talent. Jeff Fisher, you look at Jared Goff, didn't even dress for the first game. Jeff Fisher is known as a defensive guy. The only quarterback he's had that's been successful is Steve McNair. And I think Garris is sold too. I think it's because of his natural talents. Doug Peterson with Carson Wentz. I know Carson Wentz is early for him, but Doug Peterson's been a backup quarterback. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be a backup quarterback. He was the OC with the Chiefs with Alex Smith. I know Andy Reid was there, but Andy Reid's background was with the offensive line, whereas Peterson was more in the quarterback's ear. And Alex Smith is pretty much a, a very, I would say, a high-end, uh, decent quarterback. I don't like to use the term game manager too much, but he's pretty accurate with the football. Doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Got to give him credit for that. Now, I'll say this. This is why I'm so high on Ryan Tannehill, because Adam Gates is looked at as a quarterback whispering guru. So I'm not ready to give up on Ryan Tannehill. We'll talk about it later in the show, but I may have a surprise pick in that Patriots-Dolphins game. We'll see. All right. We'll be right back with Open Mic. Open Mic. 
Well, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, perhaps you should hope that they should call Keanu Reeves. Uh, he starred in the lovely movie The Replacements because you are in need of a starting quarterback. Looks like RG3 has gone on the short-term IR. Mo, tell us about that injury, and should we expect him back at all this season? Yeah, broken bone in his shoulder. I forgot what it's exactly called, but he basically has a broken bone in his non-throwing shoulder. This isn't the first time RG3's been hit. Apparently, he said that he couldn't slide because a lot of people saying, why didn't you slide, get down? He said he couldn't slide because he was pushed in the back. And I'm sorry to say it, but RG3, I think his career in Cleveland could be over. Josh McCown is taking over, and Josh McCown, despite the record that Browns had, Josh McCown played pretty well last year. I don't think RG3 comes back only because, first of all, he's he's got to get reevaluated within the, the next three to four weeks, I believe. So he's not out of the woods yet with his injury. He's on short-term IR, which means he, the team can make a decision to bring him back after week eight. Now, if his three- to four-week prognosis isn't good, then he's obviously out for the season and he's done, and then what's going to happen is the Browns going to draft the quarterback in the, in the 2017 draft. So, again, that, that'll be the end of it. If he If he's able to come back, I don't know how effective he's going to be having to switch quarterbacks because you, you're going to have one game with RG3, then you're going to have about seven games with Josh McCown, then you're going to switch back to RG3. It's not good for the developing wide receivers on that roster. The Browns have a lot of developing receivers outside of Andrew Hawkins and uh, our guy Josh Gordon. A lot of young rookie wide receivers, they need continuity there, and switching quarterbacks doesn't do them any favors. The Browns just, I don't know what it is with that organization, bad luck, whatever you want to call it, but they could have drafted Carson Wentz, who looked pretty good in his season opener. Yep. Didn't do it, didn't think he was a top-20 quarterback, traded the pick, Eagles got it, and I'm sure the Eagles are happy, and the Browns, still sad. Still the Browns. Let's talk about a guy that just can't catch a break. The San Diego Chargers' number one receiver, Keenan Allen, after missing half of last year with a lacerated kidney tore his ACL. And this is after like six catches and almost 70 yards. And he, I mean, you just got to feel bad for this guy. I mean, he's the number one guy, Phillip Rivers' his main target, and he goes and tears his ACL and he's going to miss another whole year. That's got to be devastating. Yeah, I almost drafted him in one of my fantasy leagues because I said, he's a t when he's healthy, he's a great talent. Yep. He could can, can easily pass 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. But the guy, as you said, the guy just cannot catch a break for whatever reason you mentioned it he uh had a lacerated kidney last year missed half the season he was having a good year one game i believe he had about six catches and tore his acl you could see the agony in his face because he probably knew it was, it was over for him uh the charges they they brought in travis benjamin during free agency they do have another guy i believe it's uh tyrell williams who's going to step up they started antonio gates even though he's in his latter years that hopes to step up melvin gordon they have as a receiving running back Danny Woodhead, of course, who's a fantasy darling there. They can cover up for Allen, but it makes me wonder how much, if their patience are running out for this guy, how, how much more can they take from him playing either half the season or not most of the season at all. So tough break for the Chargers, uh, tough break for Keenan Allen. Hope he gets better and gets back on the field soon. And speaking of patience running out with injured players, what about Brian Cushing? I mean, this is a guy where if you can get a bet in in Vegas, he's going to miss at least four games each year just from breathing. I mean, this guy every year tears something. He tears his MCL. He's out. I mean, six weeks, is, it seems like, you know, a, a pretty short amount of time for an MCL tear. But, you know, again, what do I know? But is this the type of injury that's really going to affect that, that Houston Texans defense? I mean, they just got J.J. Watt, you know, going again after his his 
offseason rehab? I mean, should we expect them to change anything up that they had going with such a stout defense? Uh, I don't think it'll affect them as much. The Texans play a 3-4, so they have two inside linebackers there. They drafted a rookie last year who should be able to step up in his position. Ryan Cushing, as you said, just can't stay healthy. He had a Pro Bowl year as a rookie, and after that, he, he just dropped off. He got suspended for steroids in his second year, then couldn't stay healthy after his third year. His Between 2012 and 2013, he played 12 games in total. And that's that's definitely not a good thing. Um I don't know if their patients are running out with him, but they have such a stout defense that you probably won't even notice that Brian Cushion is off the field. Okay, no love for Cush. All right, um, moving to uh, New Orleans. Not talk about insult to injury. Not only did did the Saints lose on a two point conversion to Moe's Oakland Raiders last week, but they lost their best covered corner, their only covered corner, Delvin Bro. <laughs> He's got a 26-year-old kid just coming into his own, and he broke his fibula. I mean, ow. That, I mean, the biggest bone in the leg just just broken. I mean, this is a team that had no defense to begin with, as as seen last week. What are, what are they going to do? Or are they just going to hope that Drew Brees can score 47 fantasy points every week? That, that's what they're going to have to do, basically. Okay. Uh, when I heard Delvin Bro went down, I was like, Oakland Raiders had to feast on this because I believe he went down in the late third or early fourth, fourth quarter. And, you know, they went to Crabtree on that fade route. Crabtree was able to grab that, that pass, right, pluck it right out of the air. And now the Saints are going to play the Giants this week. And that's not going to get any better because you got Odell Beckham coming to town. Sterling Shepard looks like the real deal. Victor Cruz looking healthy. Last year, those two teams combined for 101 points. I don't think the Saints score that much because I think the, the Giants defense is, is much improved. But I think the Giants could put up another 50, another 50 on the Saints this year because they don't have, as you said, any cover quarterbacks to fill in for Delvin Bro. Nothing. Nothing at all. All right, quick question for you. If I've got uh, if I've got Victor Cruz in a fantasy uh, league, do I play him tomorrow or do you need to see more out of him than what he – yes, he scored a touchdown, but he still only had like 30-something yards receiving. Do you need to see more from him before you trust him? It, You know, it depends on who – who the alternative is? Who are you going to bench for him? Or is it just kind of like an open spot where you don't really have anyone solid? I would start Victor Cruz because I think all those Giants receivers are going to be pretty decent fantasy plays. Because let's say even if Victor Cruz doesn't rack up the yards and he has like fewer than 50 yards, he's still going to get in the end zone, I believe. Oh. And like again, the Saints don't have a number one corner. They don't have a number two corner. <laughs> They don't have a number three corner, no. so they're gonna have Drew Brees gonna have to put up a lot of points, which means the Giants are gonna have to push the pace, and Eli Manning's gonna get the ball out of his hands really quick. And although Beckham can't score the touchdowns by himself, so it's gonna Cruz or Sterling, one of those guys could have two touchdowns. So if you have Victor Cruz and it's a flex position, or you just have no one there as your third wide or second wide receiver. Hey, what the hey, start Victor Cruz. Do you like uh, a guy like uh, Travis Benjamin now with that open spot in San Diego more than you like Cruz? Yeah, definitely because he's going to be the number one option there. Tyrell Williams is hasn't seen the field much, and people are talking a bump already. I don't think it's, it's going to be a quick push, as people say. Travis Benjamin was brought there to stretch the field. He is a, he's a distance wide receiver who's going to catch the deep ball. So if anyone's catching long touchdowns, 100 yards for maybe two touchdowns, it's got to be Travis Benjamin. I wouldn't bank too much on Antonio Gates. He's getting, you know, he's getting long in the tooth. I think he does produce, but he's not going to have the yardage he used to have. That yard, the yardage machine is going to be Travis Benjamin, at least for the early going. All right, you heard it there, fantasy players. Start 
Travis Benjamin with uh, with confidence going forward. And if you got Victor Cruz, throw him in because, uh, you know, Mo thinks that it's going to be a shootout uh, with the Giants and the Saints, and, and it very well should be. Uh, it'll probably be like a 10-3 game. But, you know, that's the best of luck <laughs> to all you guys. Uh, we got we to gotta roll out a little thing here. It's called the overreaction because that's what people do after one week of uh, NFL, either uh, in your fantasy team, you've probably dropped half your roster, uh, much like I wanted to last week, or uh, especially if you're just an NFL fan, uh, you know, after watching, if you were a Jet fan, for instance, and you saw them, you know, kind of blow it against Cincinnati, you had to think, oh, God, what happens if they lose to the Bills? So we got a couple here. We're going to call it the Keeping It 100 mini segment. Uh, Kirk Cousins, Mo, uh, is he a big flop? I mean, what, what are we looking at? Yeah, this is an this is not an overreaction. Kirk Cousins is a is a fraud. He's I'm not even say a flop. He's a fraud, and I say this because he's never beat a winning team as a starter in this league. Think about that. He's been a starter for for quite a while, hasn't beat a winning team yet as the starter. I don't I don't I'm not talking about coming in as a fill in on mop up duty. I'm talking about he started the game and finished the game against a winning team and won the game. That hasn't happened yet. And that has to worry you because people made a big deal last year saying he didn't beat a winning team. And they're like, oh, it's just the schedule. He had to beat who was in front of him. And I do get that. But when he got out there against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have a questionable secondary, Kirk Cousins has all of these weapons. He threw zero touchdowns. Zero. Not, not a zilch. He is a fraud. And I, 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 people who are picking the Redskins to win this week against the Cowboys who have a really good run game and the, and the Redskins have a very poor run defense, you might want to change your pick. You might want to change that pick. Kirk Cousins, the flop, don't let him fool you any longer. Kirk Cousins, a.k.a. Bernie Madoff. All right, moving on. <laughs> Carson Wentz looked really, really good in week one. You said it yourself. Cleveland should have drafted him. The kid out of North Dakota State who uh, upset the – I forget who they upset, but they upset somebody today big in the world of college football. Um – what do you think? Do we think that he's the next coming of John Elway? Uh, first of all, his alma mater, North Dakota State, they they beat another fraud. <laughs> they beat a college fraud, and I, I was a fraud. Because yeah. They played these cupcake teams like Rose Beef State, and they win. And everybody thinks they're great, but that, that's that's another tangent. Carson Wentz, I'm not going to say he's a fraud. I, people are overreacting, calling him a franchise QB, you're using John Elway. Let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's just calm down. He beat the Browns. He beat the Cleveland Browns, the dysfunctional Cleveland Browns, okay? So let's let's just, whoa, wait a minute on this one. He's going to be on Monday Night Football this week. He's going to play the Bears. I know the Bears are not a great football team as a whole. Terrible. But John Fox, a defensive mind, Vic Fangio, who coached the San Francisco 49ers back with my boy Greg Roman when they were great. Greg Roman. Uh, they're going to really, I think they're going to confuse Carson Wentz a little bit on Monday Night Football. I think the bright lights are going to be too bright for him. I don't think he completely stinks it up. I think he throws for a touchdown, but I think he throws two picks and the Bears win this game. So I, I'm not saying I don't like Carson Wentz. I think he could be pretty good, but let's just wait a minute on the franchise QB tag. This just It's only been one game. Just hold on a minute. 
Yeah, pump the brakes, Philly fan, all right? Stop blowing up my phone telling me, cause Carson Wentz! I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Um, you know, it's funny. You just got done, you, before we were getting ready for the show, I, I turned on, you know, I turned on the TV, and, and we're, there he is, Tom Brady in Ann Arbor, and, you know, every, everybody loves Tom. And then I go on the internet, and every Patriot fan is now also wearing the blue and the maze. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm sick of, I'm sick of Brady. I'm sick of the Patriots. But the question, Mo, is... Why do all these people think that now Jimmy Garoppolo is the second coming and this team is going to go 4-0 before Tom even steps on an NFL field this year? Yeah, let's wait a minute on that one, too. People are now saying, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo can pull a Brady on Tom Brady. And I'm like, no, let's not go there. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo had a decent game, didn't have a great game. He did turn the ball over. Patriots did win the game. I don't think the Patriots are going to go 4-0 without Brady. I still think they go 2-2 because I think they're going to I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, ruin the surprise later on. But they're gonna go two and two, and they're gonna have a surprise loss in there somewhere. And you're gonna realize that Jimmy Garoppolo is not Tom Brady, even with the great Bill Belichick pulling all the strings in the background. All right. Houston, those Houston Texans, the ones that Brian Cushing will not be playing for, they are going to win consecutive AFC South titles. Yay yeah, or that's nay? Legit. Yeah, that's legit. I'm sorry. I, I'm Colts fans, all all six of you listening to the show. I'm sorry to disrespect you. I'm not disrespecting Andrew Luck. I'm disrespecting your atrocious defense that gave up, I believe, 39 points to the Detroit Lions last week. Mm. I said it before the season even started. People said, oh, the Colts are shooing to win the AFC South. The Texans aren't going to be that great. Brock Osweiler is learning a new offense. Well, the Colts defense is pretty much trash, and that's what's going to hold them back from an AFC South title. Again, I said this numerous shows ago they signed antonio cromartie to sure up their secondary antonio cromartie yes the guy with 13 kids i believe yeah well, that, something, something like that, that. yeah, yeah it's, it's not gonna work whatever it is it's, it's just not gonna work for their defense their defense is old it's slow it's it's not athletic it cannot keep up with the athletic offenses in today's nfl with quarterbacks slinging the ball all over the field the colts are gonna finish about eight and eight nine and seven and they might have to clean house with their coaches staff because I don't see Andrew Luck developing as he should with a defensive mind like Chuck Pagano running the team. What is easier to get into? Communist China without a passport? Or Darrell Revis's whatever he wants to call himself, One Man Island, Revis yeah. Island, uh, I Can't Tackle Anybody Island. I mean, what what, what is easier, Mo? I, you know what? At first, I said the Darrell Revis thing about being done as an elite Q, uh, as an elite cornerback is uh, as an overreaction, but uh, I'm kind of changing it to maybe he could. I don't say he's done. I would say he's he's going to either be an average cornerback now or he's going to have to move to free safety where he can be better because Charles Woodson did the same thing. Went from cornerback to safety as he got older. I think Revis might have to do the same thing. He is 31 years old. You saw Marquise Goodwin, who's a burner, Burn Revis. I mean, I know that's not Revis' strong suit tracking fast wide receivers, but he still got burned. Whiffed on the tackle, and, and I believe if Sammy Watkins was healthy, we would have saw a lot more of what we saw in the first week from Revis. It doesn't get any easier because Revis has to go up against Antonio Brown soon, a couple of weeks, about week five. So that's going to really tell us where he is. Bleacher Report's Jason Cole did say that Revis did not commit to his offseason workouts because he had that wrist surgery, and it's going to take time for him to get his body back in the shape before he plays an elite level. What I'll say is let's wait till week six to see where Revis is. If he's still getting burnt by every number one wide receiver, then he's going to be either average as a cornerback or a pretty damn good free safety. 
if he's not willing to move to free safety, is this the last season we see him with the Jets? I, I don't think so. I think Todd Bowles gets to him and says, hey, Revis, you know, look at the film. This is what we got. We, we're going to have to move you to free safety. Revis has been open to the idea in the offseason. He did say he is open to moving to free safety eventually, but he said for this season, he wants to play cornerback. Now, I could see him finishing the year and Todd Bowles saying, hey, we have to get better at the cornerback position. We can't have you out there, and we need to move you to free safety. I see it happening. He moves. He stays with the Jets in that secondary and becomes a really good free safety in that in um, Tybo's defense. All right. We'd be remiss if we didn't speak about last week. Uh, opening game Sunday was September 11th. Obviously, it was the 15th anniversary of the, the tragic day in New York and, and in Washington, D.C. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of talk of, of what was going to go on with players in the NFL. Would they would they continue the protests against the flag, on, on especially on such a, you know, such a horrible day in, in history, but a day that, you know, uh, affected us here in America and around the world forever. So, you know, we saw what we saw what happened with Seattle and the Seattle Seahawks and how they, they pretty much interlocked arms and, you know, it was almost like a human a human chain. Uh, we, but it did not get half of the notoriety or, or you know, the media scrutiny uh, as, as I believe it was three or four players from the Miami Dolphins still kneeling uh, during during the national anthem. So, Mo, I don't know how you feel. I know how I feel about it, but, you know, I want your take um how you feel uh, if, if it was, uh, you know, a big deal or if, if it was justified about what they were continuing to do on this, you know, on being at September 11th? Well, the first thing is, I know it was September 11th, and a lot of, they said a lot of players didn't want to kneel or anything or sit because of the day, the significance of the day. But some players felt like they needed to do it, and Miami had four players who, who did it, and their owner... Supported Stephen Ross supported them on 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 their message. Now across the field from them, the Seattle Seahawks locked arms, and Doug Baldwin said, "Hey, we're locking arms because we want people to hear our message. We're 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 sending something that says we're a cohesive unit. And now we you know we did this. Now you have to listen to our message. But as you said, the Miami message, they're they're the four players kneeling got more media coverage than the players on the other side locking arms. And I say this." Dating back to what I was saying before in a previous episode is sometimes when you make a social stance, you have to cause friction or disruption because then it forces people to pay attention. We talked about the Carmel Anthony thing with the, his banana boat crew. He got out there on the ESPYs, had a heartfelt message. We only talked about it for one show. We've been talking about this Colin Kaepernick thing and players kneeling for multiple shows. I believe three, four shows now. It's not over. It, it, it's kept going. And it's it's the more, I should say, the more, uh, it's the message that gets people riled up more than the Carmel Anthony because Carmel Anthony's message is basically, how could you go against that? We all want to be, we all, we all want unity. We don't want injustice in the world. There's no, there's no, you know, angst about that. But when players start to kneel and people start to get talking about it, guess what? It becomes a bigger story and it causes more conversation. Now, again, on 9-11, some players refrain from it but some players said, you know what, I'm not disrespecting the people that lost their lives in 9-11. I'm not disrespecting the first responders who risked their lives and their health and may have passed away from this. We're standing or kneeling for a cause that has is completely independent from what 9-11 means to some people, from what the flag means to other people. And I and I, I, I have to respect that message because again, they're again, they're not showing disrespect to anyone. 
they're just simply calling arms to a certain cause, a certain message that they're trying to portray on a big platform. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, just uh, I I look at it as I again we've 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 talked about this from the get. We understand where Colin Kaepernick is coming from. We support it as as many people do around the country. I just I unfortunately, you know, call it what you what you would, and you know, being the son of a New York City police officer one time, I just couldn't get past the fact that. Uh, all around the country, we're having these these beautiful, you know, pregame ceremonies. We're having these giant flags unveiled on the field, and yet it wasn't enough for someone to put aside their, you know, their protest for just one day on on the the, the day where this country sacrificed so many lives to save others in in the face of terrorism, and we lost over you know close to three thousand lives in, in New York and Washington. And and it's easy to say, well, you know, it's it's not about that, but it is. But it it's that it's that day. It's the it's the time. It's fifteen years to the day that we had we lost the greatest amount of lives due to a terrorism act in the world. And and I understand that people want to continue to to push, you know, what they feel and get their point across. But it just comes a point where you need to have a little bit of compassion and you need to have a little bit of self reflection and say. I'll pick this up next week or or I can just have a press conference before and let you know how I feel. But you have these servicemen and servicewomen on the field and you have most of the stadium standing up and, and it just it's just not a, it's just not a good look. And I understand that nobody, you know, these guys that knelt, it, their their point of view was more important than what I felt or what certain people felt uh, that they shouldn't. And that's fine. Everybody's entitled to that. But I just cannot get past the fact that man, this is this is September 11th, and forever that the world changed on that day 15 years ago. It will never, ever, ever be the same for anyone. So to me, it it is a little bit of disrespect. Maybe I'm taking it the wrong way. That's fine. But I just you didn't see anybody kneeling at the Jets versus Bengals game. Not one player. I don't know if anybody on those two teams, you know feels the same way as the members of the Dolphins or the Seahawks or Colin Kaepernick for that matter, but you did not see one person uh, only a few miles away from what used to be the World Trade Center kneeling because I don't think that would have flown anywhere in the eyes of the NFL. So, you know, to my, my point of view, don't agree. You, you're understanding, and that's, that's okay. We're having, we're having the conversation about it, but I, would, I just would have wished that for one day we could have all put our, our feelings aside for the greater good for, to remember what, what we went through as a nation because if everybody remembers, after September 11th, there was flags flying on cars, and it was all about the United States and rebuilding and not, not cowering in the face of terrorism. So 15 years later... We've we've succumbed to that a little bit, and we've put other things kind of in front of that, even for just that day. I just wish we could have stepped back for a moment, taken a look at where we've come, where we've gone, where we plan on going, and really could have maybe just been united for for a fifteen minute pregame introduction. That to me would have done more for for everything. And said Colin Kaepernick could have said, "I'm going to put my feelings aside for just a minute because I understand what." what transpired 15 years ago that to me would have done more good than four more guys kneeling than you know 25 guys putting their arms together i could be wrong but i just feel like that would have helped the conversation come that far along because then you would have had people 
and the media is saying, well, these people understand, you know, the guys that are fighting uh, and have a great argument for fighting against oppression and, and people that are that are standing up for what they believe in, which is a which is a great noble cause. But they want to be they want to be reflective and they want to. We have to learn from our past, otherwise we will continue to make the same mistakes. And that's exactly what we need to do. But we didn't for for fifteen minutes. We didn't. We were still still stuck in the moment. And that, that, to me, I feel like we just missed an opportunity to to come together as a nation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally understand your sentiment. The only, I, will, I will ask this question, though. Let's say Arian Foster and the three other guys on Dolphins did have a, a pregame press conference. Do you think we'd be covering it on this show? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. I, I don't think we would be still go, talking about it, you know, maybe 15 minutes into the segment. But I think we would have talked about it and said, well, you know, I would have I would have came out and said they they I would have felt they did the right thing you know they had the press coverage they spoke their piece, uh, but they still went out and they honored those that we lost and those that sacrificed so much, maybe not to this you know, to this extent, but I felt like we would have still acknowledged it. Now I don't know everybody in the media because if we know we know people love headlines and people want to mm-hmm. want to bite onto something that they see and that was four members of the dolphins kneeling and you know kate upton getting all over these guys on social media and people now saying that they won't watch the dolphins and they won't go buy tickets and blah 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 again they're entitled to that i don't think that's the right thing to do the, the right thing is to have a, a civilized conversation about it but yeah you're right to a certain extent it would it may not have had the same effect but again, I don't know if I don't know if the effect it's having now, where people are still not seeing eye to eye, is the correct effect. I just wish we would have, for one one split moment there, we would have we could have came together because I feel I feel eventually we will as a nation come together. But it who knows something like this could have could have severely cut that time frame down had had we just done it, you know. And I could be wrong, could be completely off base. But I feel you know as a proud American, uh, as somebody that doesn't you know see color. I feel like we could have come together that much sooner, you know, had had that happened. But, you know, that's just my thought. Yeah, and, and someone else brought up a, a point about convenience, and they're saying basically what's said is not every protest is going to be convenient for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll draw this analogy. When, when I remember a couple of months ago in the summertime of Verizon workers. I know this is a lower scale. This is, we're not talking about lives lost here. But Verizon workers went on strike, right? And they didn't wait till the night or until business was handled. They did it during business hours. MTA went on strike. Again, not lives lost, just people having to to go through extra hassle going to work. But the point is, people are going to protest at the most inopportune time. Because, again, that's what causes the headline. As you said, it's the headlines. That's what they want. They want attention to the cause. Because if everything is neat and tidy and convenient, then everyone's going to, like Carmel Anthony's, very cookie-cutter, neat, tidy, at the right place, right time. You talk about it, it's in one ear, out the other, we forget about it, we move on. But if it causes friction, if it causes some type of disruption, if people are, are you know, upset about it, if it's at a time where it's not the best time, that's when we give it more coverage. That's when there's more conversation. We get two opposite sides, as you and I are on opposite sides here, but we both understand each other's point of views. Mm-hmm. We get healthy conversation from that. And, and I think that's that's the whole point of it. it. Again, if it was all neat and it was just how everyone wanted it to be, then there would be no opposition. There would be no there would be no opposition. There would be no outrage. There would be no two sides talking about their differences. It would be okay. Everyone agrees, and we move on. Yeah. We all ends in skipping the sunlight. But no, yeah. 
because it's because there are two opposing sides, that's when we have the real conversations. Absolutely. And, and, and that brings up our next piece is, and this is where I, I completely, uh, I, I'm just at a loss with the NFL. I mean, they don't call it the no fun league for a reason, but then you've got a guy like the Tennessee Titans linebacker, Avery Williamson, uh, the guy, the guy wanted to wear nine eleven remembrance cleats, and and you know we saw through the week that Odell Beckham was wearing them in pregame, and he went back and forth. Williamson didn't know if he wanted to wear the cleats because he didn't want to get, he didn't want to be fined, obviously. But he received so much support uh, that he actually came out and said, I, "I just felt like I got so much support across the country, and especially when the New York and New Jersey police union said they would pay my fine, that it really meant a lot. So I felt like if I didn't wear them, I wouldn't have felt good about it. I felt like I had to do that just for myself and to represent the people that were lost and the people that do their jobs every day to protect us. I feel like it was a, just a duty. Uh, he even got permission from Mike Malarkey and John Robinson uh, to to support him to wear the cleats. He said, I, I just didn't want it to be a distraction, uh, and they were fine with it so i went ahead and did it end quote so my biggest problem with this is that a guy wants to wear cleats in remembrance of 9-11 yet people can kneel and the nfl won't do anything about it because it's a social experiment okay but a guy wants to wear cleats so what are you finding him for? Are you finding him because it's not going to match the colors of the uniform? Or are you, match, are you going to find him because it's a political statement? Because I just think it's, an, it's something in remembrance. And there's been many things like this uh, with the NFL where obviously they don't, they don't want you to have much of a personality or they don't want you to, to, to expose yourself. Uh, so I, I just don't I don't quite understand. You cannot have it both ways. Am I, am I incorrect with saying that? You can't let one section of people voice their opinion and do exactly what they want and and roger goodell and people will come out and say oh i support that but then somebody wants to do something which uh i i I don't understand the 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 if that what kind of non-benefit that is giving the nfl showing that they have a little bit of heart and you want to find a guy for that how does that work yeah this is now, I understand what you're saying, but this all boils down to rules, and the NFL doesn't require players. They would like their players to stand for the national anthem, but they're not required to. They're not punished for it. But the uniform code, as we all know, is a problem with the NFL. You cannot, uh, you cannot uh, defame or you can't change your uniform as it is. I believe D'Angelo Williams... He wanted to stand up for, for breast cancer awareness, and he wanted to have uh, pink around his uniform or his cleats or something like that. And NFL said no. He has to only he can only do it during October, which the NFL allows players to have pink apparel. But outside of that, if it's September, if it's November, if it's December, you cannot support breast cancer awareness. And that's why D'Angelo Williams colored his dreads pink, because that was the only way he can get around the rules and regulations and still support his cause. Now, again, I understand where you're coming from, but, again, it's all it's all down to rules. And Colin Kaepernick found a loophole in the rule book where he's not going to get punished. And, unfortunately, Avery, Avery Williamson's cleats violate the NFL rules. So it, unless they change the rule, that's going to continue to be a problem. It's, it's just amazing because the NBA has a rule where you – you have to stand for the national anthem, and this this stems back to Abdul uh, Abdul Rahim uh, many years ago didn't stand because of his Muslim beliefs, and and at the time it wasn't it wasn't a rule, but it was it was shortly instituted after that, and and at the time you know it it, it kind of went unheard of, like he you know he spoke his mind, uh, the NBA 
instituted this rule shortly after and it's never really been an issue so i'm just curious what's going to happen this year in the nba if we're going to see players you know sitting or kneeling during the national anthem and the nba then has every right to find them or suspend them or wherever they see fit because it's a rule as you just said it's a rule i mean can, can we honestly see the nfl instituting a rule next year that says players have to have to put their hand over their heart and stand during the national anthem i don't know but the nba did it yeah the nba had that in place with whereas the nfl would be changing the rules yeah and that's going to cause a lot of friction if they're changing the rules now nba i understand because this was already in place but the nfl to change the rule it's going to rub a lot of players the wrong way and i bet you the nflpa players association is going to have something to say about it but we'll again we'll, we'll see what happens but um on to our next subject easing up on the uniform code the nfl is going to allow teams apparently to to auction to have uh cleats or whatever it was so avery williamson would have been good i believe it's week 13 if i'm not mistaken correct and they can uh where where you know kind of just go away from deviate from the uniform code but the players must auction their cleats 100 to, to the charity of their choosing now it's good to see the nfl go along with a little bit of individualism but they still have to prove the cause before the player goes out and, and supports it on the field. So my my thing is, I cannot wait until a player says, hey, I want to show support to Black Lives Matter. I wonder what Roger Goodell is going to say about that, because some people see Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group, which is which is ridiculous, by the way. But they some people see them as a radical terrorist group. And I wonder what Roger Goodell is going to say if a player says, I just want to have, you know, Black Lives Matter on my cleats or a headband or something like that. Is he going to prove it? And if he doesn't, trust me, if he doesn't, there are going to be huge, huge, huge problems. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. You know, it, it's you, you can't, unfortunately, you know, people will think one way about a certain section of people, whether it's justified or not you know we're not talking like someone is going to try to get the confederate flag on their on their on their shoes and it's going to be okay with it because uh, i hate to say even though i live in florida we know what the confederate flag stands for and and i believe me i have people here and i know people and maybe even i might even call a couple of them friends that they believe that's just part of their 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 culture their heritage well i hate to tell you it stands for a lot more than that and that's the thing you have to you have to be very cognizant of the fact of what it appears to other people in the year 2016, you may think that it stands for, you know, being Southern and being proud and, and, and uh, country music. But in the eyes of many, and justifiably so, it stands for slavery and it stands for many horrible things that happened in the South and happened all around the country and, and still happen around the world. So you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. And again, if Roger Goodell bans it, not that he's right, not that he's wrong, but he is the governing body. And if he does ban it, then then you know that's that's the iron fist that gets put down if you know whether he's right or he's wrong he has the final say and absolutely if he if he says that black lives matter will not show up on cleats in the nfl there will be protests and justifiably so because again black live black lives matter has been around since what is it 2012 i want to say so you know it's something that's relatively new it's not something like the confederate flag it's not something like uh the nazi third reich it is not it is not of that uh you know symposium that that magnitude that negative connotation so yeah I, I i can't wait to see what happens hopefully everything goes you know swimmingly but we know better than that it probably won't 
Yeah, that's gonna. I, I believe the NFL put Roger Goodell in a tough spot sure. there to approve or disapprove, unless he's he's not the. I mean, we all know he's the governing body there. He's gonna have the last say. So, but I I just I'm waiting for the first one that he disapproves of and what the cause is if they released you know what the cause was. Yeah. Because it's on what it is, and if people feel strongly about it, they are gonna say Roger Goodell, you're an idiot. You don't need to be the governing body. You need to have a group of people decide these things. Either way, someone is not gonna be happy. And this is what happens. You try to give people leeway and you get all of this outrage and unnecessary negative publicity, and the NFL does not want that. I mean, for all we know, when they release a statement about Week 13, they could have already given every team a list of, of yeah. things that they can't put on cleats. So, you know, again, we may never find out the full story. Uh, all you all you have to really kind of say about it is certain people just have way too much power. You know, whether you think it's the NFL, NBA, hockey, baseball, whatever it is, the president of this country, that country, they're just you just have to wonder and scratch your head and say, how did somebody gain this much power? Like, I understand he made billions of dollars last year, but how much longer can something like this go on? And, and you know, that, that has a lot to do with it. You know, if something like this were to spill over and we find out in week 13 that a certain section, uh, you know, of whatever it was, was not allowed, could that be the, the, the final straw for, for the commissioner of the NFL? It's possible, but again, he's done a lot of shady things and continues to put the NFL in a bad light that you have to wonder if anything will eventually catch up to him or or if this is just the way the NFL is going to be for as long as we can think about it. Hey, Roger Goodell, if you need a deputy commissioner, I'll let you both. You know, I'm free. You know, I'm free Monday through Wednesday, you know, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I'm free. You got me. I can make some decisions for you. Take the heat off your shoulders yeah. a little bit because, you know, I... You know, I take a lot of heat on Twitter sometimes, so I'm used to it. So I'm a, I'm a veteran at this. So, Roger, no, you, you give me a call. We'll give my number out on air. But, you know, <laughs> properly, just hit me up with a Gmail, nbmmoten at gmail.com, and I got you. Mo will run the point like Derrick Rose is about to run it for the New York Knicks. That is it. We'll be right back with Building Momentum. It's now time for Building Momentum. Keeping with our political segment here at the Mike and Mo Show, we have to talk about the NCAA pulling out of seven championship events from the state of North Carolina. Obviously, this is due to the HB2 bill. I mean, you got to say, you got to clap it up for the NCAA just to kind of stick to their guns and say to the NC, you know, say to the state of North Carolina, if this bill passes, we're pulling our game. So, I mean... In a world where there's not a lot of backbone, you gotta say you gotta kind of put your hands together and slow clap the NCAA, right, Mo? Yeah, definitely. I say you know North Carolina and their H two HB two bill, they they deserve this because it. You saw the avalanche coming. The NBA pulled the All Star game next year. Now the NCAA pulling seven championship events out of North Carolina. This is what happens when you become exclusive instead of inclusive we say this all the time and North Carolina's taking a lot of unnecessary L's for this because you have to understand we live in a world today where people are more open with their lifestyles whether it be sexual orientation or their their religious practices or spiritual practices whatever it is a lot of people are open with what they're doing now they're feeling more comfortable with themselves which is a good thing but then when you have bills and laws like this that don't cover these people and cover their rights you're going to have a problem in this world because you have players who may not be open with their sexuality, who may be gay, 
you know, or something like that, or, you know, yeah, all people, not just athletes, but people in general who come to the games, who come to these events, also, you're, you're basically ostracizing them as well. So I know Seth Curry made a, made a comment, he made a statement saying he's disappointed in his, in his home state because he's from North Carolina and saying, you know, he wished he had a, basically an all-star game in his home state. He's, he's sorry that all of these events are getting pulled out because, because of this HB2 bill. And it's, it's sad that in this time, this date and time, 2016, we have a bill that doesn't cover the LGBT community. I, it's just, I, again, whether you agree or disagree with it is another story. You still have, there are still people. They still have rights, and and North Carolina is just is saying no. So I, I I don't feel sorry for the state. They're losing a lot of you know cash a cash finance from this, but if they're gonna be stubborn about this bill, this is gonna continue to happen. Yeah, I mean it. it the same bill was up in uh, the state of Georgia and uh, last year, and the people at Netflix and Disney who sink billions and billions of dollars into the entertainment industry and and Atlanta specifically said that if this bill passes, we will pull out the entire film industry from Georgia. And obviously the state of Georgia was, you know, motivated enough to not lose that money and, and the bill did not pass. And we know a couple of years ago, a, a similar bill, not exactly the, the, the bathroom laws, as you know, to say it, you know, straightforward, uh, did not, it actually did pass in Indiana for the rights of, you know, gay and lesbians to basically uh, businesses didn't have to treat them fairly and equally. So, this is not the first. Hopefully, it's the last. But you know, it's just—it's kind of unbelievable to think where we are. And it, I feel like sometimes this is like 1953, and we're living in you know the deep south somewhere. Like, what? How are we so? How are we going backwards? I just don't understand it. And you know, you've heard the story for years that you know parts of Europe still go through this on the regular, and there's chance, horrible chance at at professional soccer games. And you didn't, you never really thought it would get to this level again. You thought you had to think that we had come so far from the civil rights movement, and you know, and and the the the, the work of of people with you know the LGBT community and special needs and all of these, all of these, uh, you know, people that are just people. And yet they're still, still discriminated against and oppressed. And it's just like, wow, we really have learned nothing from, from the people that have come before us. Like we really, I mean, it's so sad that we, we still treat one another in such a negative light. I mean, how do we ever expect to make a better world for, for our children and our children's children if we can't even get it right today in the year 2016? Like, you know, it really just makes you wonder, like, what, where, where are we going wrong? Does it start at the top? I mean, something, something's got to change because uh, how much longer can this really go on for? Our society is very wrapped up in following the crowd i noticed and it, it's sad because we have so much individuality from certain pockets and certain groups of people and then we have the herd what i call it the herd because what happens is you get in a you get a popular opinion and then it's like if you don't agree with that popular opinion then you're a horrible person yeah. then you're evil mm-hmm. and we need to get away from that we need to start understanding and i wrote about this on facebook recently and i think People want to be understood all the time. You need to understand me. You need to understand me. But then they don't take the time to understand the other person on the opposite end. They want to be accepted, but they don't want to accept other people. And it has to be a two-way street. You can't have it one way. You can't say you have to accept me for who I am. You have to accept me for who I am. You know, and then someone comes up to you with a different opinion and you go, I want to accept that. I want to accept that. You just can't be that stubborn. I think that's the problem in our society right now is that people don't see see it from the other lens they only see it from their lens 
their own background, their own perspectives, their perspectives are right. They don't. They just want to be right and have their perspectives put on a platform where everyone else is just looking up and saying, you know what, I either follow you or I don't mean anything to you. And, I, and that's, again, that's the wrong road to go down. And again, we need to we need to put our arms around people, even if they don't share the same lifestyle or choices that we make. We need to start embracing people for people, not for their lifestyles, not for what they stand for, but as people. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's good and there's evil in this world, and you would just think that people would want to surround themselves with good. You know, the negativity and and the and the things that we deal with every day, the threat of terrorism. You think that people would want to triumph over all the all the things that just are such a black cloud, and and really don't do anything to better your better their lives. But for some reason, people are just so consumed, whether it's through social media or you know, or this the news in general. I just I, I boggle. It really just boggles my mind. And you know, me being a, a huge baseball guy, I always look to see, you know, how how the spillover is going to come. We saw it in the NFL. We just talked about you know what's going on, what could potentially happen in the NBA. And I I, I was looking to see who would step up in the world of Major League Baseball, and and we had it. But I just I just don't agree with what. <laughs> with what all-star center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, Adam Jones, the way he went about it. And if you, if you don't know by now, uh, basically he came out in the USA Today and he said, quote, we already have two strikes against us, speaking about the African-American community. Uh, he said, so you might as well not kick yourself out of the game, meaning baseball. In football, you can't kick them out. You need those players. In baseball, you don't need us. Baseball is a white man's sport. Uh, and CeCe Sabathia, pitcher for the New York Yankees, came out and basically said he totally agrees with Adam Jones. Totally, totally says that black players aren't given the opportunity, the same the same chance as white players or, or Dominican players or any, you know, Spanish players in general. So, Mo, before I tell you how I feel and the rebuttal from Tony LaRusso, who's been in baseball a very, very long time, I just want to know your take on it if you feel that this is, you know, more inbounds. I don't want to say if it's inbounds or out of bounds because I I'm not in the inner circle of Major League Baseball, so I don't know how African Americans are handled within the sport. So I'd rather not speak on that. But what I will say is this: is when it comes to MLB, and I guess people wanted to see if players would kneel or do something. You have to understand that a lot of the players, you know, if you look at the statistics based on the stats, are are you know Latino. Uh, not a lot of African Americans or whites. So a lot of those, a lot of those Latino players or Hispanic players, they grew up in another, you know, another native land. And a lot of them go back to the native land after their career. They visit, they're back and forth. They're not overly exposed to what goes on in the USA to speak out on these issues. A lot of them, English is their second language. They're not even comfortable speaking the language. So I wouldn't expect a lot of the Latino players, even though they're considered minorities too, to speak out. But as far as African American baseball players. They are few and far in between, and when you're the minority, you don't want to step out of line. To me, that's scary because if you feel that you cannot voice your opinion because you are the minority and you some somebody may throw at you or something may happen to you because, again, you're outnumbered, to me, that's him having that perspective is scary. Adam Jones, as the player, having that perspective, like, I better not say anything or you know something might happen, to me, that's scary. More alarming, more alarming than his comment to him for him to have that perspective that he has to stay shut. He can't say anything because he's already walking on thin ice. To me, that's alarming in itself. 
Yeah, and Antonio Larusa, you know, former manager, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, Oakland A's, now is with the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. He came out and said, "quote We want the black athletes to pick not basketball or football, but want them to play baseball. They should play baseball, and we're working to make that happen in the inner cities. We have a lot of Latin players. We have players from the Pacific Rim." He went on to say, "It's very difficult in the inner cities to get black athletes to play the game. So what MLB is doing, they have the MLB, they have the MVP program. It's expanding the opportunity so the black athlete gets a chance." Further went on to say, if you pick the sport where you have all shapes and sizes and you can retire and not walk around crippled, it's got to be baseball. Now, this is the thing. Look, I played baseball my entire life up until through college. And baseball is a very expensive sport, okay? It's it's not cheap by any standard. And that's the thing. In the inner cities, you got to remember, baseball is just not that popular with, with kids this, these day and age it's a, it's a millennial group i mean we talk about it on the show all the time where it, it's too slow for people and they just don't get it so when you kind of combine that with the fact that it's you have to spend hundreds of dollars to get the right equipment and kids aren't interested in it to begin with you know they're not going to flock to baseball they're gonna they're gonna play basketball they're gonna play football they're gonna play games that are much more accessible basketball all you need is one ball pair of sneakers and you can just go out and find a court i mean you can even play it by yourself that's not something you can do with baseball football yes football you also need equipment but there's many many more programs based for you know based for football players young players high school uh you know whether it's peewee football there's just a lot more football people want to be involved in football it's the most popular sport probably on the planet right now so baseball is not that accessible but the thing that i have the thing the biggest issue that i have with with the fact that, that I'm all for Adam Jones speaking up and he should not feel the fact that he can't because God forbid somebody's going to throw it in. That's that's old baseball. That's the whole, you know, unspoken truth that, you know, if you hit my guy, I'm going to hit your guy, blah, blah, blah. That's like the old, you know, the old way of doing things. But the issue with it now is that I get that there's not a ton of black athletes in baseball, okay? But it's the same thing that if I came out and said to you, what, Mo? In 2015, there were 74.4% black players in the NBA as composed to 23.3% white and only 1.8% Latino. Oh, and 0.2% Asian players. Also, in the NFL, two-thirds of the entire NFL roster, which is 68%, is African-American. White players account for 27.7%. So... Nobody's going to pick up a picket sign or make a petition to get more white players in the NFL or the NBA. And they, they shouldn't have to because at the end of the day, why can't somebody just say, well, they're not as good as the African-American players? Why can't they just say, well, because he's not six foot nine and can't shoot like that or drive to the basket or jump out of the building? And yes, there are, there are people who can do that that are white. Just like there are black players who can hit home runs and throw 99-mile-an-hour fastballs and steal 90 bases in a season. Why does it always have to go to the look-at-me, why me? Why can't it just be that, A, maybe black people don't want to play baseball, or B, that they're not that good? Why does it always have to be? Because, I mean, would it be fair if I was saying, well, why does every white guy got to be a three-point specialist that came out of Duke? I mean, it's 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 not exactly the same argument, but it's pretty damn close. Because should I feel oppressed that I that there's not more white people at, as cornerbacks or running backs, or or you know why is every white guy an offensive lineman? Why can't we get more white safeties in the NFL? Why can't I get a white point guard in the NBA? Why do they have to be 
giants from Slovenia that are that are our centers. Uh, you know, I I just don't understand why why it's good for one you know, segment of the population and not necessarily for the other. And it's going to be because, well, look at history. Look, look. And I get that. I, I, I love history. I'm a history buff. I'm very well educated when it comes to that. But what's good for the goose with one sport has to be good for the gander and the other to a certain extent. We can't just always throw the look at me, here's the race card, because while it is applicable, while those numbers are jarring, they're, they're pretty much just as jarring on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to other sports. So why can't it just be that well, they're either not interested or they're not good. As far as the Roos's comment, and he's saying we, you know, we're gonna bring more black players in. I, I don't, I don't feel a lot of people share his point of view. And and you, you have a point. Why is it, you know, people always say, okay, white guy, he's got to be a three point shooter, no defense, can't jump, can't dunk. Why is that? You know, why why aren't there more white wide receivers like Wes Welker in the league? And why don't they get pop like like the African American receivers do? And to your point, a lot of people won't say one group is better than the other or less talented in a certain sport than the others because of political political correctness. And we are, we live in a society where we try to preach the, the the mantra that everyone is created equally, just as. I can I could be just as a successful baseball player as you. You could be just as a successful basketball player as me. That's that's the idea. That's the idea we want to portray. And and anyone who says, oh, black people are better at basketball and white people are better at, you know, other things, tennis or golf or baseball, whatever it is, we go, okay, we can't go there with that. We cannot go there because we one, we don't want to discourage younger the younger crowd. Two, it, it's politically incorrect. So you you're not gonna hear that on a mainstream radio or podcast. You're just not. And people aren't going to say that. And, and this goes back to my point about when players, or I should say analysts, draw comparisons between two players who look alike. There's never the interracial comparison. You're sure. never going to compare a white player to a black player. Because people can't see past color. People say they, well, I, see, I don't see color. I don't see color. But they'll never compare interracial, interracial people Never a black to a white or Asian to Hispanic or whatever the case may be, but as far as Lewis's comment, again, I don't feel I don't feel it's MLB's mission to recruit black players. I don't think that's the way to go. Okay, we have to get more black people in. Simply, black kids just don't want to play baseball. Why? Because I believe they grow up, and I'm part of this too. Because I actually played a little bit of baseball, basketball, and football growing up, so I was pretty much well rounded. But when you're growing up as a kid and you're looking for a role model, and I'm not projecting this as just myself, but a lot of African-American kids, some, despite the stereotype, they, you know, a lot of black fathers are in kids' lives, but for the ones who aren't, those kids are looking for role models. And a lot of times those role models, they want those people to look like them. So when they look at baseball and, you, and baseball's, their top superstar is Bryce Harper with his long flowing hair, black kids are not going to, they're not going to resonate with that. That doesn't resonate with them. They can't identify with Bryce Harper. He's a white guy with long flowing hair, as I said. Black kids, we, you know, we look at Kevin Durant. You know, they may look at Derrick Rose, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, of course. They look at that and say, you know what? I can be like him. Because just as we say we don't see color, and, and we obviously do at times, kids see it. And we say, a lot of times we say, oh, kids don't see color. Yes, they do. And certain times they do. But they look at a role model and they say, I want to be like him. I want to be, why is part of that is because that person looks kind of like me. So I can see myself as this guy. But if a person doesn't look like you and you're a young kid and you're trying to identify 
but your personality, you're trying to find your way in this world. You want someone who resembles yourself, especially if you have a black parent. You want someone who, who kind of fits in with what you look like. So when black kids look up and they see Kevin Durant, they see LeBron James, they go, okay, I can, I can identify with that. They see Cam Newton. I can identify with that. As you said, baseball, you need more money to play baseball. It takes more than one person. Can't play it by yourself. I remember playing basketball on a milk crate by myself, just shooting hoops on a milk crate. Didn't have to buy a hoop, just needed a ball. You know, so there's that. So if you're talking about going to the impoverished neighborhoods and trying to get these kids to play baseball, I have three, four areas within a two-mile radius where kids can play baseball. Kids that look like me who are African-American or Hispanic or, or Asian or whatever. But guess what? They'll go to the basketball court before they go to the baseball field. Why? Because when they look at the TV and they want to emulate, you know, you're in the backyard, you're emulating the shot clock going down. You thought about Michael Jordan. You thought about LeBron James if you're coming up in this age. You, you thought about Steph Curry. You didn't think about Bryce Harper hitting a home run in the ninth inning. That's just not something that's prevalent on TV. And I think if MLB wants to broaden their horizons as far as race is concerned, they're going to have to put more superstars on the platter. It can't just be Bryce Harper. You're going to have to have multiple faces that look different, and then maybe you'll have a different change in the percentages between blacks, Latinos, Hispanics, and whites in, in MLB. No, oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, I feel like there are a good... I mean, there's, there's great African-American players in the game. I mean, you know, Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, we could be here all day talking about every specific look, feel, every player. They're 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 well represented. It's just a matter of, like you said, kids don't want to necessarily sit in front of the TV and watch a nine inning game. It's just it's 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 just the way of the world works right now. So I feel like while Adam Jones is right to speak up, I feel like again, there's just a better way he could have gone about it and getting get involved. I I don't know to the extent of what he does, but do more. Like, if you're that adamant that things aren't going right in your sport for people of your designation, then do more to spread the word to get kids to play. Because why wouldn't you want a more African-American kids to play the game? He's a great player. He, the guy's an all-star. I mean, why would you not want people to follow in your footsteps? I mean, I, it just to me, it just makes sense. But, again... It is what it is. Speaking of great African-American players, Curtis Granderson of Moe's New York Mets hit a tying home run in the 11th inning and a walk-off homer for the Mets to win again. Moe, they're going to do it. They're go I hate to say it. They're going to the playoffs. And you know what? Even though it looks like Jacob DeGrom is going to be out the rest of the year, uh, this is, looks like a team, again, that is just destined to, to shake things up and to give the Chicago Cubs a lot of hell. Yeah, shout out to Grandison and the Mets. They had him dead in the water, and guess what? Pulling right back into it. So kudos to them. Great call by Mike on that one, because obviously I wasn't watching the game, but I am thrilled that the Mets are doing well late in the season yet again. Yes, because my Yankees came so far since August 1st <laughs> and now have just completely blown the lid off of it in a bad way. Dylan Batances is proving that he is just an eighth inning man. And, you know, he will be a very good eighth inning man, but he is unable to close the door uh, as the closer. He's he's given up something like 10 runs in his past, like, three starts. And uh, there's so much positive forward momentum that this team was building. And, again, they will be very good come next year, and the future looks very bright in the Bronx. But, um, yeah, just trading Andrew Miller, trading your one of the best relief pitchers in baseball for, for the future – uh, while it will be good from you know next year hopefully and from here on it just killed us this year because 
just team wasn't ready. But sticking in baseball, the season's almost over. Got about 15 games left to play, and we have to talk the MVP race. Now, unfortunately, there are no Yankees and there are no Mets to talk about, but there are a couple of Chicago Cubs. So I don't know. You know, I mean, Mo, the thing is, is that you have to think Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant are, are within our top four. But the issue is, and you got to look at you can look at it from any sport, when you got two guys each having phenomenal seasons, they're on the same team. So would, would we not expect them to almost cancel each other out to a certain extent? No, I, should, I, I, I would say this. You look at the stats and you compare, I mean, and compare it to the other MVP candidates and you say, okay, who's had a better single season? It's, it's not like we're base, where basketball where you have two MVPs, that say Kevin Durant and Curry on the same team, one's taking points or taking shots from the other. They're still, Rizzo and, and Bryant are still getting their at-bats. They're still getting their chances to hit home runs, double singles, RBIs, and all of that stuff. It's not like even on the football field when you have two great wide receivers, one's going to take receptions from the other. So I, I believe it's a little bit different in baseball where you can have two guys at the top and you just boil it down to, okay, what matters as far as stats and how did, they, how did their season go overall? I mean, Rizzo's having a phenomenal year. He's, he's fifth highest in OPS. Uh, he's, he's one homer shy of 30-plus uh, for, uh, for the season. I mean, this is a guy that was traded a couple years back from San Diego for Andrew Kashner. What, what, that's the San Diego. They're, San Diego Padres are basically the Buffalo Bills of MLB. I'm sorry if you live in San Diego. A lovely city, but terrible teams. Uh, you got to look at Corey Sager. Corey Sager, while he's having a phenomenal year and will most definitely win uh, the NL Rookie of the Year, he could possibly become just the third person ever to win Rookie of the Year and MVP joining Freddie Lynn and Ichiro Suzuki. Now, I don't think that's going to happen because of the guys that we're speaking about now, but I mean, 40, 40 doubles and 25 home runs as a rookie uh, on a first place team in LA with all that pressure without much of a pitching staff Clayton Kershaw going down for most of the year uh, kid's absolutely phenomenal uh, I was lucky enough to grab him like in the 6th round of my fantasy baseball draft this year that's not going to happen ever again if you don't grab this guy in the 1st round you're not going to get him uh, he's phenomenal he's just he's 22 and he's just going to keep getting better now the one that's going to sting Mo right in the uh, Wait, can we this one no, I, I, I was going to request can we just not mention him can we just mention him as, as DM DM well, well DM is hitting 347 with 102 RBIs so he deserves our respect because it's an MLB high Daniel I you didn't want to sign me with the Mets so I stayed in the division and went to Washington Murphy and uh, yeah yeah if this guy doesn't if look if the Nationals don't get to the World Series and I'm not saying they got to win it but if they don't get to the World Series they'll never get to the World Series because this team is doing it all and Bryce Harper's really not playing very well we know he went through a uh, much shoulder uh, problems really all season but he if he comes to life from now until the playoffs and through the playoffs, this team should ride it right into the World Series. But Daniel Murphy, I mean, what a mistake by the Mets. This is a guy that can play four or five different positions. And he has just been the he's been the little engine that could on this team. I mean, like I said, 347, 102. And here's the, here's the stat that I love, Mo. And here's the stat that really is going to make you want to vomit. 16 games against the Mets this year. He's hitting 397 with 21 RBIs and seven homers that's the same exact amount that he had last year during the Mets unbelievable playoff run so you know let that marinate a little bit because if I was a Mets fan and I let Daniel Murphy go I would be sick to my stomach but you know at least that's for me to be a Yankee fan I would feel a little bit better about myself um 
Unfortunately, Daniel Murphy's probably not going to win the MVP, or fortunately, if you're Mo, because it's going to be Chris Bryant, okay? Just 18 months ago, this guy was a rookie that basically, we all know he was the third overall pick a couple years ago, 2014, actually. So this is like two years that he has come out of, you know, being a college kid to possibly being the best slugger in the entire game of baseball, okay? Uh, he's NL leader in home runs, 37, 113 runs scored, second best slugging percent, percentage at 569, and OPS at 961. Oh, and he's got 94 RBIs, all right? He's beloved in Chicago. The guy is, he could be the next Mr. October and if he leads the Chicago Cubs to the World Series and possibly wins it he could be the, you know no disrespect to, to Mr. Cub or any banks but he could be the new Mr. Cub because this kid is the real deal as long as he wins it and not DM and I'm cool with it you know the Cubs have had so much misfortune Good for them if they have a NL MVP. Good for them. Yeah, and as long as Steve Bartman's not in the left field bleachers, uh, I think everything will be fine because these Cubs, they just they look great. Move over real quick to the American League. Uh, you got to talk about Manny Machado. Uh, Manny Machado? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crazy guy with the, the ears. Uh, he's phenomenal. He's the best third baseman in all of baseball. He's got 35 home runs. Um, you know, everybody's worried about that knee injury he had a couple years ago. Well, it's clearly gone because he's batting 306, which is 20 points higher uh, than last year. Uh, his defensive war, which is wins above replacement, for you guys that don't know, that means for every game that he plays, if he wasn't on the team, that would be a loss. So in this instant, it's basically he's worked two extra wins to his team, which is, uh, which is pretty much phenomenal uh he strike out to walk ratio it's not ideal uh but his slugging percentage is 565 so combine that with his defense and his fantastic arm and yeah if you're starting a team from scratch this is a guy you'd probably take with one of your first or second picks uh you got to look at the last season's uh, al mvp josh donaldson okay he's not quite having the same season he had last year but uh, he's still really, really good. He's still got 34 home runs. Uh, the Blue Jays are, are still right at the top of the AL East. Uh, he's still leading uh, the leading run scorer in the entire AL. Uh, and again, for a team without a leadoff hitter, this is a guy that just can drive in runs. He he is he's pretty much driving that team. Troy Tulowitzki's just meh this time uh, this time of the year. But this guy is just phenomenal. Uh, unfortunately, the guy that's going to be one and two in the AL race is going to be Mookie Betts. I say unfortunately because. He's a Red Sox. Uh, but again, the guy, you got to give credit where credit is due. He's just been phenomenal. And obviously, Big Poppy on his final year is is having an incredible season. But this kid has got 30 home runs, and he's batting 313. I mean, uh, he's only got 55. He had 55 strikeouts in the first half, only 25 this second half of the season. I mean, the guy's, he's money. I mean, he plays a great outfield. He can hit. I hate to say it, but he's, he's going to be a thorn in the Yankees' side for you know, the next 12 years or so. Uh, but number one, you got to give it to the diminutive Mighty Mouse, Jose Altuve. Uh, he may be smaller than Mo, but he can just rake. I mean, flat out, on a team that's batting 246 at collectively, he's batting 337. 337! So imagine if he wasn't on the team, what they would be batting collectively. It's only 26. Uh, he's a fantastic defender. Uh, he's got 27 stolen base attempts. In, uh, excuse me, 27 stolen bases in 34 attempts. He won a Gold Glove last year. He's gonna win another Gold Glove this year. I don't know if it's enough for to get into the playoffs because Houston struggled so mightily out of the gate. But it really comes down to the fact, Mo, and you know, we'll talk about it in length while we get closer to the end of the season. Is it MVP, Most Valuable Player, to the team 
to the fact that they the team gets in the playoffs? Or is it MOP? We talked about this a while ago. Most outstanding player. Because to me, outstanding means the best. Had doesn't matter if his team gets in the playoffs or not. He just was outstanding in general. Had a great season. His numbers were wonderful. But valuable, if you look up valuable in the dictionary, it's going to tell you he did what was, in layman's term, he did most for what he had with the team, most valuable to the team making the playoffs, most valuable to the team winning the World Series. Now, it's not that way if you ask anybody that's voting for it in any of the sports, but to me, I would give the award to the guy that did the most for his team to get furthest in the season that's why i would i would give out the award after the season not during the playoffs but you know that's up for debate for another time i suppose Buster, only mike is talking to you if you're, if you're listening out there mike's telling you how to cash your vote so <laughs> i you know i hope you're taking heed to his warning exactly Let's so yeah to, exactly to recap give it to mookie betts you know, give it to the Red Sox because they're probably going to make the playoffs. And again, you got to give it to Chris Bryant because, uh, you know, the Cubs, they haven't played this well since, what was it, 1911, 1908, you know, 1864, a really long time ago. So and we will be right back with our week two picks in the wrap up. The wrap up. All right, so the wrap-up today is brought to you by BetDSI. For those of us who love and live sports, this time of year is loaded with events. Of course, the NFL is back in action. Week 2, we're about to give you our picks. MLB is winding down, about to get into the playoffs. PGA is going strong, and the UFC has some fantastic fights in the mix. We also have the most entertaining presidential race ever with Donald Trump. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton providing all the free comedy we can handle for the rest of the year. That's right, Mike. With all these events going on, it's a great time to join BetDSI.com for all your sports wagering action. Watching games are fun, but when you have a little riding on the outcome, just like I do in my fantasy league, which is all pride, by the way, it gets a little exciting. I actually play there myself. People ask me why. It's because it's A-plus rated on the sportsbook review sites and has excellent customer service. They offer all sorts of odds on the NFL, NCAA football, and all major sports leagues, and also have some fun options to bet on on the 2016 presidential election. Should have it on the debates, too. And reality TV shows and so much more. Bet DSI site is quick, mobile access works great, and it's very easy to use. Playing there makes watching games a lot more intriguing for sure. Okay, here's the kicker. As a Mike and Mo Show listener, Bet DSI currently has a fantastic promotion where you can actually try the site out for free. Simply sign up at BetDSI.com using the promo code MAN. 10 that's man the number 10 and you're gonna get 10 free dollars to bet the nfl or any one of the college sporting events going on right now once again promo code is man 10 use that promo code and you'll be ready for some fun pick up some games maybe pocket some extra cash and again this is courtesy of betdsi.com and the mike and mo show podcast so don't tell us that we never did anything for you because just for listening to this show you got 10 dollars and if you win i get half of it all right, so let's give the people what they want so they can win some moolah. Let's start out with uh, the Jets and the Bills. And, Mo, just to clarify, we're just picking straight up. We're not going with the points, right? Yeah, we're not going with okay. the points. We're going to straight up. We're just picking the winner. 
But again, you'd still want to place those bets at betdsi.com if you're feeling lucky. All right. All right. So Jets, Bills, we already know that because the game was played. Uh, obviously, we had picked this earlier in the week, but Mo and I both had the Jets and we both would have won. So let's move on. 49ers at the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, Panthers, do I need to give an explanation? I don't think I do. Panthers win by a landslide. Yep. Not even close. I don't care that it 13 and a half. 37 and a half it doesn't matter <laughs> the one-time cleveland browns versus the new cleveland browns the baltimore ravens at the cleveland browns who you got gotta go with the ravens i know they had a rough opening with the bills defense but the browns have zero defense hence why carson Wentz had a good opening nfl debut i should say ravens win this by probably a touchdown or two all right a potential Super Bowl preview in the year 2032, the Tennessee Titans at the Detroit Lions. Hey, let's not sleep on the Detroit Lions. They just beat Andrew Luck and the Colts. They put up 39 on them. Uh, I don't think they put up 39 on the Titans because Dick LeBeau had that team playing pretty good defense. I waffled a little bit on this, but I'm going to go with the Lions because I have them as a as a sleeper team. Not a sleeper playoff team, but as like a, a surprise 9-7 and seven team. Oh, you got, you got the Jeff, uh, Jeff Fisher special. Oh yeah, okay. Jeff is special for the Lions. Yeah, I got, I got DJ. I got them as well. I like what they're doing. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, come on, really. Uh, let's talk about the KC Chefs versus the Houston Texans. You gotta go with the Texans, Ma. Yeah, finally, people are starting to come along with what I had to say about the Texans. I said the Texans are gonna be pretty good. People are like, yeah, I don't know about Brock Weisler. Yeah, I don't know about this. Yeah, I don't know about Will. Pol-. Listen, the Texans are gonna be pretty good. I know this is a playoff rematch from last year Mm -hmm. the texans now have a a decent quarterback that win this game all right uh here's the here's what mo warned you about earlier in the show everybody brace yourself because i'm still um mystified the miami dolphins those miami dolphins at the new england patriots uh obviously i'm taking the patriots mo what are you thinking let me explain myself okay? okay okay number one the Cardinals don't have a really good pass rush. Yeah, they, they acquired Chandler Jones as his first game. He had an impact. But the Dolphins still have Adamican Sue, Cameron Wake, and Mario Williams on that on that defensive line. So they'll be able to pressure Jimmy Garoppolo into some poor decisions. I don't like the Dolphins secondary, but is Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo really going to stretch that defense? I don't think so. I think the Dolphins upset the Pats in New England because recently, even with Tom Brady, in recent history, the Patriots have had issues with the Dolphins. For whatever reason, that matchup just has not been kind to them. I remember the Wes Welker days, and that's probably the reason why the Patriots stole Wes Welker from the Dolphins. To tilt the competition in their favor, can't do it this time because the Dolphins will have a pretty good defensive line, and they will put Jimmy Garoppolo on his butt. Dolphins win by field goal. I hate both of these teams. I hope it's nothing-nothing. I hope <laughs> neither of them win. Moving on... You're in Florida. I think you hate the Dolphins. I hate them with a passion. The only team I hate more is New England. It's just the way it is. You know, when you're a Jet fan in enemy territory, you know, you don't get any love. So I throw it right back at them and that stupid logo. Um, The game that I was a little confused on is the Saints at the Giants. Now, look, New York fan, got to take the Giants. I am taking the Giants, but I'm a little concerned because if Drew Brees does what he did last week, I, I just don't know about that giant secondary, but I'm going to take the Giants and hope for the best. 
Hey, listen, okay. Don't worry about the Giants' defense. They'll be okay. They're not going to stifle Drew Brees. Drew Brees is still going to throw his touchdowns. The Saints are still going to put up about at least, I would say, at least 34 points. But the Saints have nothing in their secondary. So Eli Manning, who's having, who had a great last two years, who had a great first game, he's going to be throwing to his three wide receivers, who I told you you should start all of them if you have any of their, those wide receivers, Victor Cruz, Sterling Shepard, Odell Beckham. Hell, start the two tight ends if you have them <laughs> because they're all, they're all viable to score on the Saints' defense. The Raiders had, a, had a, pretty much a field day, came back down by 11, 14 points. The Giants could do it. They have an experience. Passing offense, they get it done, Giants win. All right. Uh, the Cincinnati Bungles versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm taking the Steelers and Big Ben to waffle the Bengals. Yeah, did, did you see D'Angelo Williams? Like, I, I don't know if anybody saw that game yeah. Monday night yep. against the Washington Deadskins. Yep. You, you got to love uh, what he's doing at his age. Still is going to be pretty good throughout the whole year. Ben Roethlisberger. A.B., he wants to win that bet with Brandon Marshall. I think he gets it done against the Bengals secondary. Sorry, Adam Pacman Jones. A.B. is going to fry you, and the Steelers win this game. Uh, before we get any further, I just want to point out that Ohio State, once again, beat Oklahoma, and your boy Baker Mayfield threw two picks. So everybody that remembers two episodes ago when Mo picked him to win a Heisman, not so much. You want to tell college football? Do you really want to go there today? Uh, no, I don't want to go there. Moving on to the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys at the Washington Redskins. Another game that, well, somebody's got to win. But, Mo, who you got? I'll go with the Cowboys. No, I won't. I'll go with the Redskins because uh, how badly you bashed my man, Captain Kirk. He's going to redeem himself. Oh, I get it. You have Kirk Cousins in your fantasy league, so you're gonna you're gonna defend him to the end power like you would Ryan Locke. Yeah, but I don't start him. I'm not starting him, so it's okay. Yeah, he's gonna rot on your bench because you'll see pretty much again that he's pretty much a fraud of disappointment. The Cowboys win this game very easily. Again, they have the running backs, the Redskins. Let D'Angelo Williams at the age of 57 run all over them. Why would Ezekiel Elliott, Alfred Morris do it? it it's it's bound, the Cowboys are bound to win this game. They're not going to lose two straight. Dak Prescott won't be great, but he'll be good enough to hand the ball off to those guys behind him, and they'll beat the Redskins, and the Redskins fall 0-2. All right, in a week of mostly eh, kind of matchups, here's one that I kind of like, the Bucks at the Cardinals. Uh, now, at the time that we put these out, it was six and a half, the line, uh, the Cardinals laying. I'm still taking the cards, but it'll be interesting to see Jameis Winston if he can do what he did last week, if he can do it against that really good Cardinals secondary. Beware of the Bucks. I, I put Jameis Winston up there with Andrew Luck. I know that sounds blasphemous right now, but I think Jameis Winston is that dude. I think... Mike was uh, drinking the Florida State Kool-Aid because he thought James was still there, but yeah, uh, yeah. he's with the Bucks now. I give the Bucks a fighting chance, but I still pick the Cardinals to win because I don't see the Cardinals dropping too straight. They had a bad loss to the New England Patriots without Brady. They rebound at home against the Bucks. Okay, Seahawks, Rams. Can't believe the Rams are this bad. I know it was only one game, but my God, they were so bad against the 49ers. I got the Hawks, and I, my other question for you is should I start – Russell Wilson. Uh, first of all, I have the Hawks. Second of all, I would not start oh. Russell Wilson. Only this is why. Only because the Ram. Okay, the Rams usually max match up well against the Seahawks. If you look at the history, they've been they've been playing in a lot of close games. Now, even if it goes the other way with the Seahawks blow out the Rams because Case Keenan looked that bad on TV. 
then with that injured ankle that Russell Wilson has, if the Hawks get a decent-sized lead, they're going to pull him, and they're going to put in the, the backup. So I would be cautious about starting Russell Wilson, number one, because the two teams match up. Number two, because if it's a blowout, they'll probably pull him. Now, he, he's going to hand the ball to Thomas Rawls because Thomas Rawls is expected to get his workload increased. So I would be very careful with Russell Wilson. No, I'm not trying to sabotage your team. I'm trying to warn you on this one. All right. I appreciate that. Uh, let's look at the Manning Bowl. We've got the Colts. We've got the Broncos. And we've got Orlando's finest, Trevor Simeon. I'm taking the Broncos, laying the six. What do we think? Yeah, it hurts me to say this, but I take the Broncos on this one. Uh, it's just a bad matchup for the Colts. The Colts don't have any defense. The Broncos have all the defense. And with those smaller receivers and the Broncos' rough uh, defensive backs, it's going to be tough for Angelo to get the ball to his wide receivers. Broncos win this big, probably by two touchdowns. All right. We briefly talked about it. Somehow the Raiders came back from the depths of despair to upset the New Orleans Saints. And yes, it was an upset because it was in New Orleans. So, you know, Mo got that one right. Um, yeah. Yeah, you. They're playing the inept Atlanta Falcons and Matty Ice, who looks like Matty Rice. I don't know what's going on with him and Julio Jones, but my God, Devontae Freeman had like 600 attempts for about two and a half yards last week. He's in jeopardy of losing that starting running back position. Tevin Coleman, if he's out there, pick him up, people. Uh, I'm taking the Raiders because I'm not a fool. I know you're taking the Raiders. Yeah, I'm taking the Raiders because I'm pretty smart. Well, um, so that, but... <laughs> that's that's just how it is, and the Raiders are going to win this game and go 2-0. Uh, the Falcons and Saints pretty much almost mirror images of each other. They have pretty good passing offenses, but very poor defenses. Jameis Winston put up 31 on the Falcons last week. The Falcons on the road where they're not that good. The Raiders at home in front of their home crowd. They're going to get it done. They win by probably, uh, I'd say, six points. All right. I flipped a coin on this one because it's the Jaguars versus the Chargers. And um, the coin said Chargers. I, I just cannot believe that the Chargers blew that game to Kansas City. But, again, I guess this is something we should have known by now because the Chargers just can't close. Uh, I just I, I can't see them going 0-2. I think even losing Keenan Allen, they've got a lot of weapons. And the Jags are just kind of still kind of lost they're kind of confused but you know I, again they could win but i'm taking the charges you are not taking your boy blake bortles yeah, who to, you know where yeah You're, well you know you know where lost again today to maryland so you know whatever yeah, about that but yeah. someone's gonna be unhappy with you and they find out you're not picking you're picking against ucf yeah like, well you know, upset they but go. i'm not gonna snitch because i'm not like that Thank but you. i'll say this the jaguars win this game you need to have more faith in Blake Boyles. I have him on my fantasy league, and I, I don't have faith in him just because of that, because I believe this Jaguars offense is going to be good enough to torch the San Diego defense, who allowed all of those points to the Kansas City Chiefs, whose, deep, whose offense is not all that exciting. They get the, they get the job done, but they're not they're not a fast-paced passing offense. The Jaguars have one. They, they're going to put up about 40 on the Chargers. I think if Chris Ivory was playing, I, I would have put my money on, on the Jags. I just, I don't, I just don't trust Yeldon I just I don't think he's an every down back uh call me crazy uh by the way Christian McCaffrey 30 rushes 165 yards and a TD that kid is unbelievable but we continue on with our picks the Packers and the Vikes uh hi again I know the Vikings won in the ugliest game ever to be played last week against Tennessee I know Adrian Peterson looked like he was on crutches the entire game but again with Sean Hill Again, rather have Grant Hill when, when you know that he can't pass the ball. They're going to put everybody and their mother in the box. So that's exactly what happened. 
How the Packers are only are actually only laying two is beyond me, so take the Packers and bet the house. Yeah, I think it's probably minus two because the Vikings are probably going to have extra juice because they open up in their new stadium. Yeah. Also, the defense looked pretty good, and you know historically, the defense plays pretty good against Aaron Rodgers. Doesn't shut him down, but kind of slows him down, so I think that's why the line came down. But I still pick the Packers to win this. Aaron Rodgers has all his weapons. Again, a Lacey in good condition. Uh, there's no way the Vikings keep up with pace with the Packers on the scoreboard, so Packers get this one. All right, and the absolutely worst Monday night game ever is the Philadelphia Eagles at the Chicago Bears. And it's funny because we can't even agree on this one. No, it's so it. bad. I mean, can't even. <laughs> no, it's like terrible and i've got alshon jeffrey in one league but it i just i don't know i mean even he had a good week last week over 100 yards no touchdowns that's just that's the bears man they're just both of these teams are going to be inconsistent but at least i'm taking the eagles i think carson wentz will continue to play well again he's lucking out he's playing another pretty bad team in chicago before it gets ice cold i just think the schedule works for him right now and somebody's got to win kind of so i'm going to take the eagles yeah, no, that somebody's going to be the Bears, only because the Bears did go out and they did fortify their front seven. Jarrell Freeman is there. Danny Trevathan, who's from your your team, the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. uh, went there to solidify their linebacking corps. So I think that front seven is going to give Carson Wentz some fits. you got to believe that John Fox and Vic Fangio are going to be planning all night long to confuse this rookie. He's going to make some mistakes, and it's going to lead to a Bears victory. All right, well, that is the picks. Decide who you want to go with. Is it Mike? Is it Mo? Is it a little bit of both? I mean, we only disagreed on like two or three games. So, you know, bet smart. Don't go crazy. But if you're going to go, I think the pick, the lock is the Packers Vikings, I would have to say. You know, new stadium or not. But, uh, you know, good luck. Best uh, best to you and yours. And uh, anything else, Mo, before we rack up uh, episode 31 here? Uh, it was a good day in college football i will say because uh Notre dame looks silly again okay but, yes you know. but they were they technically were the uh you know the worst of the two seeds it was a 12 plane and 18 so uh like we said pre-show fire fire brian kelly yeah, fire him now brian kelly definitely um i will i will say this too lamar jackson is a name to watch in college football louisville that quarterback yep. really did a job against florida state so watch out for him i don't know if louisville sticks in the top four but he's going to be a hot name candidate going forward. Uh, NFL football, as Mike said, at the top of the show tomorrow. Get another full slate of games. We get another look at Carson Wentz. Is he legit or not? I told you earlier in the show that pump the brakes a little bit because I know Fangio and Fox, you know, they're going to they're gonna confuse him. But we'll see. Uh, a lot of my picks are right. I would probably say all of them are right. So if you're going to go on betdsi.com and pick against the spread or whatever it is, Use my picks as a model. Be careful of when Mike deviated from agreeing with me because you might find yourself with uh, empty pockets. Yeah, and if you really want to lose all your money, take the Miami Dolphins and especially start Ryan Tannehill on your fantasy team. You know, <laughs> while you're at it, start Aaron Foster, you know, because he might play with that hurt hamstring. He Again, really? Like, come on. This team, is, they're going to get shellacked. I mean, you know, just you heard it here. You heard it here. If, if, you, if you lose all your money and you can't buy your girl a birthday gift, you know who to thank. Maurice Moton. Listen, yep. if you were going to get your girl a corny birthday card and you bet the Dolphins like I tell you to, and then you're able to take her out to a nice fancy schmancy dinner with filet mignon and nice vegetables and, and wine, 
thank me for that. You don't have to pay me anything. Just say thank you. You know, do a little quick FaceTime or a live Facebook post or a Periscope and just say, thanks, Mar, I appreciate you. And that that's all I need. First of all, IHOP doesn't serve filet mignon, so get that right. Second of all, if you haven't watched the show Atlanta, it's phenomenal on FX. Donald Glover, hilarious, great show. I feel like Mo is a lot like Donald Glover in the show, and if anybody hasn't watched it yet, or has watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Mo, I don't think you watched it because you don't like TV, but it's a good show. You should check it out. Yeah, I'm going to Google Donald Glover as we go off the air, and I'll, I'll have an answer for you when we get back on the air next week. Yes, you know, yes, please. Our late night show, and, and you know, I'll agree with you or not. But, you know, I'm sure Donald Glover is a very, um, actually, I've seen this guy before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a very bright individual. He is. To me, I mean, obviously, he's on the right track of things. So, salute to you, Donald Glover. Yeah, if we can get him on the show, it'll be even better. He is, uh, he's also a rapper. So, I'll, you know, I'm surprised you, being Mr. Hip Hop, have not heard of him. Um, you know, but you've seen him, so you know, big ups to you there, my man. Because you know, I live in New York City where all the stars are, so you know, all the stars, all okay. the stars. But okay. that is it for episode 31. Stitcher is the place to find the show, stream the show, download the show. Of course, you can still get it on iTunes. Go there and leave a comment, be kind, rewind. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. It's the Mike and Mo Show. Follow, like, do the damn thing. And until next week with episode 32, I'm Mike Calandrillo. He is Maurice Moon, and we'll catch you then. Be kind, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.